So it was all of about 10 minutes into my family summer vacation drive up north to the cottage a few weeks ago when uh, I started to feel some of the tension that we're going to be discussing today uh, emerging in my spirit. It, uh, it started with the innocent enough question of, hey gang, what do you want to do on family vacation this year? And uh, for those of you who are part of families and who parent families, you know where this conversation typically goes. So in our case, it started with our daughter, Adeline. She dove in. She said, boat ride. And then our middle son, Simon, said, no, I don't like boat rides. I want to play Lego. And then our oldest son, Owen, said, no, I, I, Lego's boring. I, let's watch a movie. And you realize that you'd kind of opened up a bit of a Pandora's box here and 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 then Addie you know chimed in and said okay well I want to watch the Smurfs movie and Simon said no I want to watch the Lego movie and you're noticing with Simon uh, a trend here and uh, Owen said what about you know Hotel Transylvania let's watch that and and around and around and around this conversation went you know which couch they were going to sit in to watch the movie which blanket they were going to get for each of them to watch the movie which snack they were going to decide on to watch the movie and at one point, I could find myself kind of looking across the passenger seat, hoping that Becky would create some kind of galvanizing presence to kind of draw our family together, you know, into one cohesive unit, as only a mother can do. Um, but you know that look that says, why are you looking at me? All I want to do is read my book. Um, I could kind of sense that she had that look on her face, and so I, I didn't. I didn't even ask her and instead just appreciate it again the tension that emerges when you try to dance the dynamics of family-wide interests with the interests of individual family members and that's what we're talking about today it doesn't just exist in families in sports teams we see this tension where the uh, performance or result of the team is sometimes at odds with individuals playing time or individuals stats or or performance uh, living in the Niagara region we see this in the way that we're governed we've got this regional government uh, made up of a whole bunch of different municipalities across Niagara and sometimes you know what's in the best interests of the region as a whole may be at odds with certain or groups of municipalities and you, you get what I'm talking about this is the polarity of part and whole of part and whole and uh, today I'm going to actually refer to it as the polarity of the individual and the collective because in the faith community it's actually probably most accurately described as the polarity of the work of God in me as an individual and the work of God in we as a collective because not just in governments and sports and in families like mine this tension exists in church families and in faith communities and is inherent to a life of faith now you might be sitting there thinking you know in a in a faith community in a faith setting shouldn't Jesus make the kind of difference where that tension goes away you know shouldn't Shouldn't the work of Christ enable us to all get along? And uh, for sure, uh, that ought to happen. We're going to talk about some of that this morning. But to simply assume that this is exclusively a character or a maturity issue uh, is to oversimplify the complexity of the dynamic of what is inherently a polarity. 
uh, the existence of two interdependent opposites that kind of play off each other. And it has to do with the way that God has fundamentally designed how he wants to work in people's lives. And so if you brought a Bible or a Bible app along, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to anchor this conversation today. Because uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, <coughs> excuse me, he talks about both of these dynamics uh, in this passage. To start, he talks about how a life of faith in Christ inherently involves the work of God in each of us personally and individually. That faith is a very personal thing. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions or in sins. He says, it is by grace that you have been saved. It is by grace that you have been saved. And when he's saying you, he means singular, each individual, because the activity of God enters into a person's life when an individual heart and an individual mind responds and makes a decision about what to do with the person of Jesus. And when that individual person understands the teaching and life and death and resurrection of Jesus and responds to that gift of forgiveness and new life by allowing Jesus to be their forgiver and leader through faith, that grace-faith transaction, as the passage says, allows a person who is spiritually lifeless to become spiritually alive, to become invaded by the life of God. And so on the one hand, God works through individual lives, through individual faith, by invading their individual lives with his spirit to help them grow into his likeness as followers of Jesus. It's what we call Christians, little Christ, so that we can resemble Jesus in our lives. At the same time, though, that that is happening, something else happens as well. Look at what it says in verse 19 of Ephesians 2. Paul says there consequently, as a result of being made alive in Christ, he says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So what happens is as an individual is made alive in Christ and as the life and spirit of God invades that individual, what is happening at a spiritual level is also that God is grafting this individual into something much greater than just the individual. The text says that you are being grafted in and included to become part of God's household. You actually become part of God's spiritual family, what's otherwise known as the church. And the church, often referred to as the bride or the body of Christ, is also intended to be an expression of who Jesus is. Not just individual followers of Jesus as little Christs or Christians themselves. And so you have this dynamic where the Spirit of God is working both in individual people growing them into the image of Christ and into this collective entity called the church, growing the church into the image of Christ. And by the church, we're not just talking about this invisible spiritual nebulous entity, but rather the, the practical, localized groups of believers uh, like we're a part of at Southridge. And so you have both of these dynamics at play. And that's really the way that Paul summarizes things here in Ephesians chapter 2. Using a different metaphor than a family. He uses the metaphor of building. And he says this in verse 21. He says, in Christ, notice this. He says, the whole building 
is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in Christ, you too individually are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God actually does two kinds of building. On the one hand, he's building this temple or this image of himself through the collective, through all of the believers in whom his spirit dwells. And at the same time that he's building his image through the collective, he's also building up your life. And he's building the collective to reveal Jesus. And he's building your life to reveal Jesus. He's doing both of those at the same time. And you might wonder, you know, if he's, if he's building in this way to reveal himself, like is he revealing himself through an individual or is he revealing himself through the collective? The answer theologically is actually both. And that's part of the complexity. Because the Bible talks about God as a trinity, which we're not going to get into too deeply today. But the idea is that God is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but at the same time is one God. And so this three-in-one God actually works in our lives, both in an individual and collective level, to fully reveal who he is. That's the way that God works. He doesn't just work individually through believers and he doesn't just work through the collection of believers as the church. He works through both and it plays off each other. Now again, that might seem really cool and it might seem like a kind of double whammy of an adventure of faith and you might wonder why would that be such a tension? But we learned a couple weeks ago when Tim Arnold launched us into this series that Every one of us as people bring what's called biases to the table when it comes to these interdependent opposites known as polarities. We bring biases to the table where we have a tendency to see the world through the lens or filter of only one of the upsides and the opposing sides downside. We see the upsides of one of the sides and the downside of the other side. We don't see both upsides or both downsides. We only see one and the other. And so that creates a dynamic where instead of having people typically pursuing both of these dynamics of the spirit of God working in us harmoniously, what we call breathing and inhaling and exhaling, Instead, we tend to create these sides of one or the other and we either are inhalers or we're exhalers and we tend to suffocate ourselves relationally. And for sure in this dynamic, there are some of us who I'm sure see life more from the perspective of a life with God being individualistic. We, we track more with the life of God in, you know, in me and in you than necessarily in the we. I know our society does at large. I've talked to lots of people who are into faith and into spirituality and frankly even into Jesus, but want nothing to do with the church, want nothing to do with a faith community or organized religion. So they would kind of represent that pole or that side. There are others who feel like faith is just so deeply personal, so deeply intimate that it actually ought not to involve other people. Others who feel like it's kind of a badge of honor or mark of maturity to not need other people to have grown beyond the work or the programs or participating in a, in a church family or a church community. And, and some who kind of look across the fence at you know, those hardcore church community types as you know, kind of mindless, almost brainwashed. Like they've drank some kind of Kool-Aid and they don't actually have their own personal convictions about things. They just do whatever the church sort of 
tells them to do. They can't really think for their individual selves. And if that's you today, or that speaks a little bit to your heart, you you find yourself biasing to that side, I'd want you to remember from the scriptures how ultimately essential community is to what you care about, to your individual life of faith. Think back to the way that God first created people before sin entered the world, before there were any problems with how God had designed the way life was supposed to live. It says in Genesis 2.18 that God looked at this first human and he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. As perfect as things were in God's creation and, and he actually breathed his spiritual life into that first human. He said there was still something not good. God himself said that something about that individual dynamic was not good. And it wasn't just that that person lacked a spouse. It was that they lacked community. They lacked human relationship. And from the get-go, God has always designed a life with him to be experienced better together than alone. Similarly, for those of us who tend to be more you know, communal types, we're, we're really into being part of the church. In fact, we might even find ourselves being kind of fanatical about that we love the idea of being part of something bigger and we attend all the time and participate all the time and give to everything and serve like crazy and frankly it drives us a bit crazy when those lone ranger types you know seem to us like they're kind of too cool for school and we wonder what it's going to take to get them on board and and get with the program because we just love being part of this stuff and not even being part of a church we love being part of parachurch stuff and denominational stuff and just this this sense that that we get to be part of something bigger than ourselves well that's fantastic and certainly god works that way but appreciate the the biblical reality if you bias towards that side That just because you're part of something bigger than yourselves does not necessarily mean that God is at work in you. This is what the Apostle Paul wrestled with in much of his ministry with the Jewish people uh, of his day. Because they, you know, many of them believed that because they were born ethnically into the Jewish culture, that that was kind of the God-affirmed, God-ordained culture. And just because they were Jewish, they were right with God. And so what he says in Romans chapter 2 and verse 28, he says, a person is not a Jew, literally meaning right with God, who is one only outwardly or ethnically. Just because you're Jewish ethnically doesn't mean you're really right with God. No, he says, a person who is a Jew or really right with God is one who is right inwardly, he says, by the Spirit. He's saying, faith isn't something that you... Uh, kind of pass on genetically. It's not something that you inherit by other people and not something that you live vicariously. Faith, while it involves being part of something bigger than yourself, inevitably means and depends on the spirit of God's life and work in you. You cannot exempt the individual activity of God in you just because you are part of the collective and God is working through the collective. Until you see this dynamic where on the one hand, individual faith demands an experience of collective faith in order for individual faith to work. And the experience of collective faith demands an individual faith experience in order to actively and correctly participate in the collective faith. Both biases ultimately need one another. And if we can get to that place today, gang, if we can get to that place where like Tim described and and like our series has been titled and we can just breathe, 
We can inhale and exhale both of those dynamics uh, in each of our lives and in our lives together. Then we can experience the wonder of God both in us individually and in us together collectively in the fullest way that God desires. So let's walk through some of the steps that we've talked about in these last couple of weeks about what it actually takes to manage one of these polarities, one of these dynamics of interdependent opposites, to do it well over time, to inhale and exhale and to get into this rhythm of breathing. For starters, it means seeing this as a polarity and appreciating, as, as Tim had described a couple of weeks ago, that there's a difference between something being wholly true and something being the whole truth. That God wants to work in us individually is wholly true. And that God wants to work in us collectively as a church is wholly true. But neither on its own is the whole truth. The whole truth is described more in a passage like 1 Corinthians 12, 27, when it says that you together are the body of Christ and, and each one of you individually is a part of it. That God wants to work spectacularly through us collectively and God wants to work significantly through us individually. We've got to see both and embrace both as the polarity that it is. Number two, we've got to be honest about and appreciate our biases in a, in a polarity like this and, and in general. Um, Tim described a couple weeks ago that to have a bias is not a, a sin. It's not wrong. In fact, it's very natural. If you think about this particular polarity, the part whole or the individual collective polarity, and think about it in the world of art or music, for example, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with a person who biases towards being a one-man band. And there's nothing wrong with a person who biases towards wanting to be part of an orchestra, you know, or a symphony. They're both art. They're both music. They can both be spectacular. They're just different wirings of people. And we're all wired a, a little bit differently. We've just got to be aware of our wirings. And more importantly than just being aware of our wirings, we've got to appreciate the opposite poles wirings to the point where, as we've been learning, like we talked about last week before the message, we've been learning to not only tolerate each other, but actually embrace one another and embrace what the opposite pole can bring to the table and bring to our lives. Because number three, if we can get to that place, then we can get to the point where we can not only appreciate, but actually realize how much we need that other pole's experience and activity in our lives as well. So for those of us who tend to bias on the individual side, that's okay. The life of Christ in you is critical. But let's appreciate how essential it is that you engage in community life with the rest of us together as a church in order to bring that to life. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter two. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You know how as an individual follower of Jesus, you become more like Jesus? Through the crucible of relationship. And through the playground of community, through the gift of other iron that can sharpen your iron, through other perspective that can round out your perspective, through accountability that can help keep you, you know, from going off the rails, 
through encouragement and support and diversity and camaraderie and, and all of these opportunities to live out the grace and love and one another's of the New Testament. Relationship actually provides you the opportunity to live out that individual faith in Christ and that pursuit of reflecting Jesus' character in your life that matters so much to you. So appreciate that and realize just how much you need that in your life. Similarly, for those of us who bias more towards the collective and love being part of what God's doing in this larger movement called his family, his body, his bride, and particularly around here, love what God's doing in us as a community at Southridge, let's appreciate how important it is that we be bringing a legitimate, authentic, vibrant, personal faith to the table in order for that to actually happen. Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 he says, in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, and he's not talking there about the procedure, he's referring to the two groups of Jewish people and Gentile people is what he's referring to. So saying in Christ, neither group that you belong to has any value. It, it doesn't ultimately matter. He's saying the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. He's saying the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love and, and gang as the pastor of a church, someone who cares about the, the, the collective dynamic a lot, gotta say, you know, we can be making a, a, all kinds of difference across Niagara in the lives of the poor and the marginalized, but you know what's true? It really doesn't matter if I and you are not becoming more compassionate, loving, gracious, forgiving people. It really doesn't matter if you and I aren't growing in our relationships with the poor and the marginalized and the vulnerable and excluded and becoming, you know, reciprocally transformed through those personal relationships. It really doesn't matter if our church is making budget or giving money away collectively if we're not becoming more faithful stewards of God, what God's entrusted to us and more generous with the resources that God wants us to use for his purposes. You know, it really doesn't matter how many baptisms our church has if we're not affecting anyone for Christ ourselves. Because what ultimately counts is personal faith that's expressing itself in love more like Jesus. And the way that a church becomes that faith expressing itself in love kind of community is when every individual does their part to be that individual kind of follower of Jesus Christ. So for those of us who bias on the collective side, let's realize just how utterly important our personal faith and growth in Jesus Christ really is. Our individual faith in Christ requires our church community and our experience of great church community requires our individual faith in Christ. That's how this breathing dynamic works. And you might be into inhaling and you might be into exhaling, but we know that if you just do only one of those all the time in absence of the other, eventually you will suffocate. So for our individual sake, let alone for our church's sake, let's learn to breathe this polarity of part and whole and individual and collective. And let's really work on ways that we can raise the stakes for the activity of God in me and in you individually and personally and the way that we can raise the stakes for the work of God in we and in us together as a church family and body. Because the truth is, if you really stop and think about it, this doesn't just matter for you and me and us together. I don't know if you thought about that this morning, but there, there actually is a world out there uh, that is dying and hurting and lost and becoming hopeless 
and is wondering whether the person and claims and life of Jesus could be real for them and could make a difference in them that they could invest the hope of the rest of their life into. And you know what? The people out there are basing that decision of the reality of Christ on. Sometimes they're basing it on people like you and people like me. Sometimes there are family members or our friends or our coworkers or classmates or our teammates or our neighbors. And the game changing evidence of the reality of Christ is actually the life changing demonstration that you will put on with the integrity and generosity and graciousness and love and joy and character transformation that you exude through your personal relationship with Christ as an individual. Sometimes they're looking at you as an individual. Sometimes they're looking at the church. Sometimes they've got a great relationship with an individual follower of Jesus. And sometimes they're eager to take the next step. But you know what stunts them from doing that? They know that inevitably, if they're going to take this life of faith seriously, that it's going to, be mean, it's going to mean being part of a, a church community. And they carry so much baggage or there's so much reputation of the church being exclusive or hypocritical or judgmental or irrelevant or divisive that, that frankly, they don't want anything to do with it. And sometimes it's only going to be the faith in action, the practicing what we preach and the legitimate difference making in our community that they're going to see that's going to be the evidence of the legitimacy of the life of Christ for them. And sometimes, frankly, it's going to be both. And we can't afford to gamble on which one it's going to be for the people in our lives that we care about the most and want to know Jesus. So gang, for each of our sake individually and for our sake collectively as a family, let alone for Jesus' sake and most of all for the sake of the people that he loves and wants to rescue and involve in a life with him, let's learn to breathe this polarity of the life of God in me and us individually and the life of God in we and us together as a church. And let's be the kind of church community that exudes the life of Jesus through little Christs and through the body of Christ so that the world can be captivated by a Jesus revealed through us as we put our hands together all for the ones and as ones for the all. Let's pray. God, we want to just thank you today um, for the mystery of who you are and how you want to work in our lives. There are some things that are simple and there are some, you know, really adventurous things like these dynamics of polarity that we get to be part of in this life of faith. And we just say thank you for it. I pray today that you would, uh, by your spirit, just provide the kind of clarity for each of us that helps relieve some of the tension associated specifically with this polarity. Help us to uh, not just tolerate, but embrace one another better. Help us personally to embrace the other pole better and to be growing personally and together as a church family better. And most of all, God, help us to express who you are better, both as individual little Christs and collectively as the body and bride of Christ so that your spirit, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that lives in each of us personally and lives in us together as a church family, can be a force of restoration across Niagara and around the world through this family and body of people and through each part of it. We pray that, that's our anthem today 
as we close with this final song. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.